Hi. It's good. It's good. What a good looking church. Go ahead and make yourselves at home in a plastic seat, as at home as you can make yourself. It's good to see you. Um, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the lead teacher. I'm excited to be back up here. It's been a few weeks. Um, so if you're a guest uh, or you've not been around here lately just because of the season, um, we've been going through the book of Galatians and we paused it for a while to get started with spiritual gifts and then we paused that. We're going back into Galatians um, just to finish it. We're actually three sermons away from finishing the entire book from very first verse all the way to the very end. So I'm excited to be done with this book. Not because it's been a bad book, it's just been a long time we've been in this book, I think 22 weeks total. So um, turn to chapter 6 if you have a Bible or you're using some sort of an app to follow along, and uh, we're going to jump in because we've got a lot, of, we've got a lot here. It's a pretty, pretty difficult verse. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we will put it all up on the screen, and we've got free Bibles out there if you want to grab one on your way out. And if you're a guest, we actually have books out there that's free for you as well. Um, You can grab one of those on the way out. It's our gift to you. So, Um, If you're not familiar with the book of Galatians, and maybe it's been a while since you've read it and you just need a a big picture, really in just a couple sentences, what it's about is, is Paul is writing a letter to a group of churches. It's not one church. It's a group of churches um, in what is modern-day Turkey. These are churches that he had a heavy hand in planting, right? But they have started to drift away from the gospel, which has been their foundation, their cornerstone. The lifeblood of what these churches were rallied around is not just the gospel, but the gospel with a Jesus in it with no additives. Because as soon as I say the word gospel, I know many things come to mind for you. Some of you have grown up in the deep south and gospel can mean a myriad different things. But whenever we say the gospel here from this pulpit, whenever we say it in our living rooms, what we mean is the story of a beautiful God looking at a broken mankind, entering mankind through a virgin, living perfectly among us, sounding like us, talking like us, eating among us, but not acting like us, living a perfect life, and then trading that perfect life for our wretched lives as he is up on a cross receiving a wrath aimed at him, or aimed at us, but he catches instead, substituting himself for us, dying, totally dying, being put in a tomb, right? But then raised up at the proper time, right on God's time, to become the firstborn of the living, leaving the tomb, teaching his church, ascending to the right hand of God where he is at today, interceding for you, waiting for the day where he gets to come back on a white horse, rally us all together as one big family, and we go and have communion with him. That's the gospel. But in that gospel story is a Jesus with no additives in it because Jesus was totally sufficient and God is totally satisfied. But these false teachers had come in and they said, God is not totally satisfied. You actually have to add some things. You have to change your behavior. You have to have a changed behavior. Your performance needs to look a certain way. And then you can truly become a Christian, right? So for the better part of four long chapters, Paul has been contending back and forth with the teaching of these false teachers in this church that has gone astray. For the better part of four chapters, he's basically saying that Jesus' obedience was so perfect that yours is not required. Yours is not required. Now that's key, that word. And we agree with this. 
And we spend a tremendous amount of time from the pulpit. We spend a, ma- a, a massive amount of time in our living rooms to the best of our ability restating this in different ways. That Jesus' work was so perfect that your work is not necessary and required. Now that makes a lot of people nervous, right? Some of you are nervous just to me saying it right now. What are you saying? Our, our actions don't matter? Are you saying that our behavior doesn't matter at all? That we don't have to do things? I'm saying it doesn't justify you. Because Jesus' work was perfect, yours doesn't have to be. And if, well, let's just face it. When I talk to people, and they usually are uncomfortable in churches like this, and I don't mean an Acts 29 church, I mean a gospel-centered church, a church that preaches this kind of gospel, where Jesus was so big and he was so sufficient that you could be a total wretch and it doesn't affect God's view of you because he doesn't value you based on your behavior and your obedience. He values you based on Jesus's behavior and Jesus's obedience. Now, a lot of people are uncomfortable and nervous with that message, And what they'll feel inside, and sometimes what comes right up on out of their mouth is, well, Luke, this is good. All the gospel stuff is good, but when do we get to the part where you tell me what to do? When do we get to the part where it's like the real sermon, you know, like the real part of the sermon? I mean, the gospel stuff is what you're supposed to say because you're a pastor. But when do you get to tell us what it is that we have to knock off? Where is our list of things to do? When do I have control? When can I manipulate the variables so that I look better before God? This is part of all of us. All of our flesh wants to jump out and do this, right? Makes us nervous. And so, and yet, here I am telling you that we don't have to do stuff in order to bring favor and approval from God, and yet Paul in this passage today is going to tell us to do stuff. Paul is going to give us an imperative, and all the word imperative means is a charge, a challenge, Uh, telling us you do do this and you do not do that. That's all an imperative is. And Paul's about to lay some stuff down. You know, for the first four chapters, he didn't give any imperatives. He just told us to look at how beautiful God is and what he did in his gospel. And now, the last couple chapters, he tells us what our life should look like in light of that gospel. So he's giving imperatives. But then you've got these false teachers, and they're also giving imperatives. They're also saying, do this, eat this, don't eat this. Do this festival, don't do that festival anymore, be circumcised, show up, tithe, whatever they're saying, they're giving imperatives. And Paul is saying, don't do those, but you should do this. And here I'm telling you that your, your, your obedience and your performance doesn't get you any more approval or grace, but we should do this. So what do we do? Is it confusing? It can be confusing for a lot of people. But Paul and these false teachers are coming from two different areas, totally. You see, the false teachers are saying, do this so that grace will come to you. Paul is saying, do this because grace has already come to you. The false teachers are saying, if you want the gospel to come to bear on your life, you should do these things. And Paul is saying, because the gospel has already come to bear on your life, these few things should just be evident in your life, right? So what we talk about today is this is what your life should look like in light of what the gospel of God has done in our lives. But make no mistake, if you are perfect, and I mean you knock it out of the park with everything we talk about today, doesn't get you any more favor from God. Doesn't get you any more approval from God. Doesn't love you any more than he did yesterday, right? It's important for you to know. And we'll get back to it here in just a little bit. But let's go ahead and jump in in verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul in chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, 
And he means brothers and sisters. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Okay, pause. Um, And so if you're new here or you're a guest, we read a little, talk a little, read a little, talk a little. So you'll figure it out. You'll catch up. But what's going on right here? Caught in transgression. That's not like, hey, you're busted. Like I've been hiding behind the bushes and waiting. And then, whoa, see, I saw what you just did. You know, I caught you. It's not caught red-handed, right? Caught in transgression means something a little bit different. I did a lot, a lot of studying on the word caught in the original language. And it means some words. It means like ensnared, entangled, trapped, seized. That's a big one. Think of an engine seizing. Seized. As I did a lot of study on this word, an illustration came to my mind. And if you know me for any amount of time, I'm not a big illustration guy. And I don't even think in the history of this church I've ever even used a prop. It's not big prop guy. It's very circa 1980s youth group. I'm just not into it. We'll never do dramas up here. I can promise you that now. And interpretive dances, not really going to happen. Just not into that stuff. But this came to my mind and I had to bring it. So this is the prop today. Every man just melted deep inside, did he not? Chase, Chase saw this earlier and he said, that looks like a woman's mind. That's what he said. I'll let you all work that out with him. I'm sure he meant it in a good way. But I, think of, I see this, and I think of seized, entangled, ensnared in a pervasive burden or sin. Some addictive flaw has you caught up and trapped in. That's what that word means. Think of this, all right? I mean, we all, we get this, right? Doesn't this, I mean, I've been, <laughs> I've had extension cords for 15 years, and this is what they all look like. After a while, you go, to, you go to Lowe's and you see them on the shelf. Don't they look pretty? All wrapped in cardboard and they all bend at the same time. And they're clean and they're, they're all lined up. It's just a matter of time before it turns into this. And I don't care if you know how to do the arm thing or you stretch it out. I've seen all different ways of trying to not, just trying to avoid this. But this is going to happen to you. You're going to walk out in your garage and you're going to see this. It's going to mock you and laugh at you because look at all you have to do to untangle this. I mean, if you have headphones, you know what I mean. You put them in your pocket, and they're perfect. You pull them out, right? So keep this in mind, right? That's what we're going to use. Because it might be four more years before I use another prop. So we're going to milk it today, okay? He talks about those who are spiritual, being the ones that untangle the knots, the ones that get in and be part of that restorative process for the ones who are caught in a transgression, right? When it it says those who are spiritual, it doesn't mean varsity. It doesn't mean the Uber A-team, pastors. It just basically means Christians who are acting like Christians. It means true Christians in true communal operation. Think more filled with the Spirit or walking in the Spirit, as Paul has been talking about in chapter 5, right? That's what we need to think. It's a little bit of a better rendering. And then he says, keep watch on yourself. This is an interesting passage. I've heard this taught several ways. What, he, what Paul is talking about right here, watch your motives. Before you start jumping into somebody's big tangled mess, why are you getting your fingerprints all over that? What is the motive? Are you being, are you humble? I mean, do you recognize that you're in the same ditch they're in? You might not be doing the same sin, but come on, you're capable, aren't you? You have the capacity. I mean, you're just a couple bad days away from being in the same place, most of you. 
You see, the best helpers, they don't come straight at you. They come alongside you when you're in trouble, don't they? So are you coming from a place of humility or are you coming from a place of superiority where you're elevated and you're looking down on their sin? Because, man, it feels electric to come in and be a helper, right? To be the one that does that instead of leading them to a helper. So what exactly are your motives? That's what Paul is saying right here. It's motivating you being so spiritual. Because there is such a ravaging hunger in all of us to be the hero. I mean, it's in me. You you see, when someone tells me their problems, I'm listening to you, but I'm also immediately thinking of solutions. And it might be a guy thing. Maybe it's just a me thing. I don't know. But I'm immediately thinking, this is what they need to do. This is what I'm going to tell them. I'm about to fix this right now. They're going to go home happy. Right? There's something in me that wants to be the hero. But God has called me to lead them to a hero. God has called me to lead them to the ultimate hero. And that could look a little different sometimes, if I'm just being totally honest. So Paul is not saying stay out of people's lives. He's saying just ask why. Why are you doing this? What's your motives? Keep watch on yourselves. That's what that means. That's what he's talking about. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. There's the key word today. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's a beautiful passage. Burdens. He doesn't say what kind, he just says burdens. It could mean any, it could mean all. And we know what that means. We have them, don't we? Every single one of you who walked in today has a burden, has a weight on you. Burden. The word burden in the original language and nuance is a weight that is so heavy you are incapable of picking it up by yourself. You need help. I mean, all of you have tried to lift something, right? Like a log or a stone or whatever. And you're like, oh gosh, it's almost, I just need help with this. That's burden. You need community to take care of what a burden is. And we all have that. It could be anything. It could be job, family, finance, health, things outside of you, things inside of you, things done to you, things that you have done. These are all burdens. Some of these burdens are quick, right? And some of them linger. Some of them just stretch over time. And they just don't go away. Whatever kind you have, you're already thinking of it, aren't you? As soon as I start talking about these things, it's amazing how fast we all think about the burdens that we have and the weights we have in our life right now. And they're varied, aren't they? The lingering burdens are easy because they come and they go, and sometimes all that needs to happen is the situation just needs to change. But those lingering ones are something totally different, aren't they? Those are a lot tougher. Some of you in here have been bearing up the burdens of somebody else, but those burdens have been there for a long time, haven't they? Years. Years. They just Whether it's just unemployment or sickness, you came alongside way back in the early days whenever it was kind of novel and unique and maybe even a little cute because you had some fresh perspective on it. And hey, man, I see you walking in this burden. I'm going to come alongside you and, and help you bear that. But after a week... You start running out of things to say, don't you? And after a month, the fresh perspective is gone. You start recycling old stuff, right? And a year later, you just end up like, brother, I got nothing to say. I'm sorry. I thought you'd be done with this by now. And then two years go by. And what do you do? It's frustrating. And then sometimes we get angry. And we get frustrated because they're not through it yet. And it ends up being that thing that we always talk about. It's the thing that always comes up. It's tough, isn't it? And then some of us are on the other side, and we've had burdens. It just won't go away. Sicknesses, unemployment, 
all kinds of stuff. And then that becomes this elephant in the room. And even we start to see it affecting the relationships around us, like it's some sort of a scarlet letter, like we've become that person. I'm the single person. I'm the unemployed person. I'm the sick person. And we don't even want to talk about it anymore. We just want to start hiding our burdens because we don't want to be labeled that person. It's hard. It can be awkward. Paul understands this. Some of you feel guilty because you hide your burdens because you're tired of looking at them. And some of you feel guilty because you just can't find anything to say to people who have longstanding burdens. You know, I was talking to Dave about this earlier this morning. Church planters know all about this. Because whenever you plant churches, um, exogenous churches in different, um, or extra local, I'll say that, in different cities, that means plant teams are getting up and they're moving, right? That means people are getting new jobs. And that's hard. Chase, it took him over a year to get a job. Dave, it took two and a half years to get a job. But I'm talking to these guys every other day on the phone, right? How do you think those conversations went? So... Any news, right? I know there's not. He would have called me already, right? How are those resumes going? You just, after a while, it's just hard. It was hard for me. It was hard for him, right? It was difficult. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5. You don't have to turn there. It's going to be up on the screen. We're going to flip through a couple really fast. For while we were still in this tent, we groan being burdened now when he says tent he doesn't mean like a coleman tent he means like your body your skin right we groan we're burdened why because we're still under the effects of adam's sin in the garden all right we're in cracked fractured humanity all of creation is messed up we're just part of that right so knees are slipping out of joint you're all blowing acls and going to chiropractors and your contact lens prescriptions are getting heavier and heavier as the years go on right you lose hair I've got hair growing out of my ears now. That's a nice upgrade. This gray hair is going, and I have to tweeze those every few days so that <laughs> you don't think bad things about me. <laughs> Sorry, babe. <laughs> She's just shaking her head. We groan. Paul understands physical burden. A couple chapters later, he says this. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without, fear within. Here he says it. I mean, he's just surrounded and flanked by burdens. Now, why am I using Paul as an example here? Because we as a church, as people, we don't like people knowing that we have burdens. We like to keep those tucked away, right? We like to keep those hidden. Paul doesn't struggle from that. He's just laying it down in Scripture to be publicly read before these churches, you know, that he has burdens, he has struggles and afflictions. We not so much. Because in America, at least in America, probably further than America, if you have a burden, it means you don't have your stuff together. If you have a burden, it means that you're probably not very mature. That's how we see it. Because the people that supersede burdens, they kind of look a little bit more mature, don't they? This is a reflection, and this is a little bit of a rabbit trail. It's not really pertinent for this, but that is one of the vestiges of the uh, prosperity movement, right? Are you lonely? You don't have to be. Are you impoverished? You don't have to be. You just need to get more mature. Are you sick? You don't have to be sick. You just need to be more mature. And so the whole thing is based off of how many burdens and afflictions do you have? And if you have a lot of burdens and afflictions, you, you just might not have your faith together. You might need to do this, 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 and this, and then all of that will go away, as if Jesus wasn't impoverished and homeless himself, right? 
Obviously, we don't believe that, but that is one of the vestiges of that. But in the South, we do it as well. In the South, we do it for a totally different reason, though. We do it for image. It's funny how Paul doesn't struggle with that. What I love about Paul is here he has his own stuff. Paul has one of these, just like you and me, right? He's caught, burdens, all kinds of stuff, and it's just before him all the time. Yet he was able to live in this and still glorify God all the time. In fact, it was in the midst of this mess that he was glorifying God for you and I just to even read. But this is hard for us, especially around hyper-masculine men. Men struggle with this a lot, right? Um, We like to look tough. And to have burdens and afflictions, it chisels away at our John Wayne exterior. Have you ever seen the guy that walks around? This cracks me up. They'll have like a cut or something on their arm or their leg, and they're bleeding a little bit, you know? They got some blood going. And you always stop and go, hey, man, did you know you're bleeding? They look, and they go, I didn't even know. I don't even know how that happened. It's a big gash. I didn't even feel it, you know? Happens all the time. All my clothes are stained with blood, you know? And I don't even know what happens because I'm that guy. That guy, well, don't you think you need like a bandage or something? Or no, I'm just going to rub some dirt in it, you know? And I'm going to put my helmet back on and hit life again, right? Why? We do that. It's just a silly example. But don't we rub dirt in our wounds rather than admit they're there? Because to have, to have a burden and to act like it doesn't bother us is just as bad as acting like you don't even have it, right? There's something in us as guys that to bring a burden or a sin or something that's got us entrapped or ensnared to another brother in the Lord and say, hey man, I don't know if you've seen this, but I don't know how you could have missed it. It's huge and I need help with it because it is a burden and I can't lift it by myself. Men, we see that as weakness. Community means weakness. Isolation and independence means strength. And that's just the way we were brought up. So community just means to be weak. But we've learned, haven't we men, in the past that masculinity... It's something that masculinity is not how tight your spiral is, and it's not how fast you can clean a Glock at night with a blindfold underwater, upside down. It has nothing, which that would be cool, but it doesn't make you masculine, right? Masculinity, the very definition of masculinity is taking responsibility for the mess around you, even if it's not your mess, men. Even if it's not your mess, because that's what Jesus did for us, and he is the most masculine man who has ever lived. He took responsibility for a mess around him it wasn't his mess and as we follow after christ we learn that being masculine it's okay to be in community and be masculine at the same time it's okay for women it's not so different is it ladies it's not so different it might not be rubbing dirt in your wound but it is looking like you have it all together that means the house has to always look together. You cannot have a dirty dish in the sink. It has to go straight from the table, straight to the dishwasher, right? Because someone could come over, right? All the clothes that your kids wear, they have to be seasonally appropriate, and they have to fit the age that they are. I mean, it goes on. The list goes on of all the things that petrify women, right? So we can have a Pinterest-ready life at any moment. Your life just comes flowing right out of a magazine. It's funny, this last week, um, my family went to a concert and getting my son to dress up is a little bit of an act of Congress. He likes the hoodie. He likes his hair doing whatever the Holy Spirit told it to do that day. <laughs> Not big on dressing up. He's like, what? I'm good. Let's go. Um, but she said, you need to go and dress. That's unacceptable. I chimed in. Yeah, son, you're going to be around professionals. Let's not look like that, you know. And so he goes and he dresses in the nicest pants he has. And he comes out like this. 
Because he's 12, you know, he's growing. So his pants are like this. <laughs> I mean, this is an exaggeration, but not really. I mean, it's really almost like this. And so Jordan didn't care. And I, I didn't even really care. But my wife was like, no, no. What is wrong with this? We just bought those pants. Those are size whatever. Like, I don't even know what that means. I don't know what size pants are, you know, for kids. I, that, I, I just bought those pants, you know? And she goes on and on. Now, she got over it in just a few seconds. And she's like, well, whatever. He's growing. I mean, nothing we can do about it now. That's just a silly example. Guys rub dirt in it. Women, it looks a little different. But the same thing is true. We desire an appearance of having it all together. We desire an appearance of having it all together, guys and girls. And this means you can't have burdens, folks. You can't show them. You can't let anyone see it. It's the way it works. Because we're not cool with how God sees us. We want other people to see us a certain way too. We're not satisfied with how God views us. We want other people to view us in a certain way. So we need them to look at us in a certain way. And that requires us behaving a certain way to get that to happen. What happens? What happens when a people who have no perceivable burdens try to come and do life together? I mean, you get attendance, but you don't get community. You get attendance, but you'll never get community with that. You know, I think this is a little tough for a city at large to interpret. I'm just talking as a missionary now. As a lost unchurched, dechurched, wrongly churched, whatever label you want to put, as they come in from the streets and live amongst you in your living rooms, as you do mission here at a gathering like this, they come with a big bag of burdens. They're under no illusion. They've got this going big time in their life. And they hear the gospel with their ears. I wonder how much of it they're seeing with their eyes, though. They read about Jesus as an ultimate burden barrier. They read in the scriptures about how we lift each other's burdens, and we carry each other's burdens, and we bear each other's burdens, but they don't see it. They don't see it. All they see is a lot of perfect people living life perfectly together. That's isolating. That's going to be isolating after a while. It has missional implications to it. I'll just say, it is okay and I don't know where we got this unwritten rule that it's not okay to show that you have burdens in front of people who are far from Christ. In our minds, it's okay to let our hair down, but only around the people that you've pinky swore with that they'd never tell anybody. That person took you like 10 years to do that with. But around lost people, you're supposed to act like you have it all together. I don't know where we got that. Did you know it's okay for them to see you in burden? It's okay for you to, to lay your cards down and say, you know what, I'm having a bad day today. Fought with my wife today. You know, struggling a little bit. We're going to make up, but it's a struggle. Now, now listen, because they get to watch you apply the gospel to your life, and they get to see it. They get to watch it. They already think that you're too perfect for them, by the way. As soon as they find out you're a Christian, and you go to, they already think, look, you're just too perfect for me. You wouldn't understand my problems. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Let me show you this, right? I got some, brother. We got problems. And this is what the gospel looks like when it comes into collision with these problems. And it's a little bit different. And I've noticed over the missional relationships I've had in the past, where I have kind of bore my soul out there and let them see it, they always want to try to give you some advice, which is some mashup between Dr. Phil and something they read in the Twilight book. I mean, it doesn't even really... I'd advise you not take their advice, right? It's something weird, but they're trying, right? Why? Because we want to help people. It's so good for them to see us help each other and to see you deal with it correctly with the gospel. It's important. I'm just saying it's okay to do that. 
I also think that this, uh, this thing where we try to carry an appearance, which means we have no burdens on our life, is also a reason why many, 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 many people are not satisfied and happy and enjoy the church that they're connected to. And I'm not just talking about us. We have over 800 pulpits in the greater Knoxville metro area, right? But there's a lot of people in those churches that are meeting right now as we do. They're not happy to be there. They're not comfortable there. I don't know that they would say that they're doing life there. You know, they, because they cannot connect and feel known and valued at the same time. So a mask goes on. But you can only wear a mask for so long. It starts to itch after a while, right? You want to pull it off and be yourself. It's like there's this interesting dichotomy that we all choose from. We don't even know we're doing it. You can either, this is your choice. You can make this choice today if you want. You can either be deeply known, well-known, intimately known by where they know where you come off the tracks, they know what you struggle with, they know your past, they know you. You can either have that or you can be well thought of and esteemed. But you can't have both. That's, that's what we think in our mind. We, we can't have both. We have to choose one or we got to choose the other. Most people, they choose well-esteemed. And when they choose that, community is never going to happen for them. You can't have community with that. It just becomes uh, trading business cards. That becomes as deep as you know somebody. First name, sure. Second name, maybe. But that's it, right? It's a weird choice. Listen, how do I know this? Because it's a bold claim, I think, that a lot of people aren't happy in the church that they're in. Some of you might not be happy here. I know this because I've spoken with many of you who have come here from another church. And not because you're unhappy with the other church, it's because you moved. It's from some, it's some city somewhere else, USA. Work moved you, or you're a student, or whatever, and you've come. And so you're here for an interesting reason, because you were transplanted. Now, when I talk to you, and I hear about the church you came from, and you speak affectionately about it, right? You know why you're speaking affectionately? It's the same thing, always. It's the people you were connected to. It was those that you knew deeply. It's those who deeply knew you. Those are hard relationships to build. And just to have them stop and then try to do it again somewhere else, that could be daunting. Those were deeper. Didn't a single one of you talk about how great the preaching was, right? None of you did that. And I hope if any of you left here and moved somewhere else, it would be the same thing. None of you cared about how cool the website was or was the band cool or anything like that. It was the relationships you were connected to. That's how I know it's true. That's how I know it's true. God gives us an imperative here. Bear the burdens of others. Everybody has them. Do it gently. Examine your motives. That's the imperative. And I know I'm getting pushback already. I can just feel it. Yeah, but Luke, I'm different. That's for the average person. But I'm unique. My situation is special. My, my little issue that's going on with me, people wouldn't understand it. Maybe you think it's too big for those around you. Maybe you think your burden is too insignificant for those around you. But you're special. And I just got to tell you, you're not special. You just got to get over yourself. There's nothing unique about your problem. And there's nothing special about your burden. There's just not. Which leads me to my next point. And that's where Paul says in verse 3, in his certain way for you to get over yourself. He says in verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something... When he is nothing, he deceives himself. He's talking to the posture of pride. 
It's talking to the posture of pride, where our opinion of ourselves, and hear me clearly, your opinion of yourself, it affects and defines how you see other people and your opinion of them. Right? I'll say it backward. Your opinion of others is informed heavily by how you see yourself. Pride is not just elevating yourself above everyone, right? It could also be devaluing yourself below everyone. That can also be pride. We never think of that as pride, but it is, because what pride is, is a toxic, unbiblical, unrealistic self-examination, self-assessment, where we just think about ourselves, our problems, our burdens, our afflictions, over and over, and we're just drowning, and we're fascinated with our problems, and it's all we can see, and that's pride. That's pride. And it makes it to where you can't see anyone else's burdens. It makes it to where you can't interact with anyone on their burdens because all you see is your own. Conversely, humility, being the opposite of pride, is not thinking of yourself too low. It's thinking of yourself far less. It's not thinking of yourself lowly. It's thinking of yourself less. Because whenever you think of yourself less and you've properly processed your burdens, you're able to see other people with theirs. Otherwise, you're just walking around pridefully with your own big bag of hot mess right in front of your face all the time. And this is you, right? This becomes you. Hey, how you doing? My name is Luke. Yeah. Yeah. Do you need help? I can't really see if you need help or not. It looks like you might, but let me work this out a little bit more. And whenever this, y'all are waiting for me to walk off the stage, aren't you? It's not going to happen. Put the phones away. But this is you. Everything you see is through the filter of your mess. And it's a position of pride to think that this is more important than what's going on out here, right? This court smells funny. It smells like gas. I'm going to put it down. The other day, Paula sent me to Trader Joe's. She sends me there a lot. I get texted lists all the time, right? So if you're a guy out there, you're not alone. It's okay. And I hate that store. I'll be honest with you. Because there's just far too many people. And they've got like one of everything. And it's just too much for me. So I walked in. And then to their far too small little foyer, you know, and I'm just, I'm, I feel just so jammed when I'm in there. And I walk in in the cart, and I felt God just arrest me, just in that moment. And it was the weirdest thing, because that day I had all these burdens. A couple of them were brief and momentary, but super heavy. And there was one or two that were lingering, and they were really heavy. And all I could see, I just had that in front of my face. And I just felt, just for a moment, God told me to put it down. And I looked, and there were dozens of people. Y'all been there? Dozens of people, because those dorky aisles are so short, you can see all these heads, right? And the person walking around with a paddle, I don't even know what that's for. But you could just see all this activity. And then God just reminded me, there's addiction in there. There's divorce. There's anger. There's loneliness. There's teenage pregnancy. Just over and over, all these things. And you know what? I felt, he didn't tell me I was inadequate for the task, but I felt far short. I felt like, man, I'm not even prepared to just bump into somebody and pray for them. I'm not even prepared to ask. Because all I'm thinking about and all I'm praying about is this. This mess of burdens right in front of me. That's pride. It's pride. It's tough. The gospel, it corrects our vision. It takes it away. The gospel redefines even what a burden is. How? Jesus Christ is the ultimate burden barrier. He was pinned to the cross by your burdens. He was there, staying his place for the joy set before him because of your afflictions and your heaviness. That's what he said. I mean, look at, we're going to put it up on the screen. Isaiah 53. 
I love this. Many call it the fifth gospel. Um, this chapter of Isaiah. Surely he has borne our griefs. Born. That means he's bearing up, which is what we've been talking about. He's bearing your griefs and carrying your sorrows. Why? Because it's way too heavy for you to carry. You can't do it. Bearing your griefs and your sorrows. Yet we esteemed him, which means we thought of him, stricken. We looked down on him. Smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Jesus exemplified what it looked like for you and I because he walked around with burden and heaviness. He walked around with one of those just like you and I did. And it didn't keep him from taking yours on his shoulders on the cross. He was incredibly efficient at that, was he not? As he carries the sins of all of us on his shoulders, on the cross, even though he had his own, but he was masculine, wasn't he? He he took responsibility for a mess, even though it wasn't his mess. Jesus is the ultimate burden barrier. So how is it possible for us to be a community with burdens and yet bear the burdens of those around us? How is it possible for us to do that? Well, we know a king who did it for us. We know intimately a king who did it for us. I could pick up your burdens, some of you. I could pick up your burdens and I think do well with it, but only because I've had community come beside me and bear my burdens and help me process those. And when I say process them, I mean taking them to the foot of Christ, analyzing why that burden is so heavy. Some burdens are heavier than they need to be, friends. I mean, a lot of times when I carry a burden, it's just a few pounds, but I'm acting like it weighs like an elephant. Taking it to the cross and finding out, why is this burden a burden? Could it be sin? Sometimes we sinfully make things heavy. Why is that? And then leaving it there at the foot of the cross, stepping away and developing and feeling and receiving a peace that goes beyond all understanding. I've known some of you, some of you have some real heaviness in your life, some deep, deep burdens, right? But I'm just going to speak personally, right? A person who's had deep burdens, a lot of the times I have a burden, it's a sinful thing. I'm carrying something I shouldn't be carrying. Let me tell you how helpful it is for me to bear that before a Kevin or a Chase or a Dave or a Matt and have them look at me and go, bro, I think that's probably sin, I mean, you're caring way too much about this and you're panicking, right? That's panic, you understand. They're bearing it up for me. That's how important this is. It's incredibly important. Because I'm going to say something you already know. You will always have weight on you. You will always have burdens on you. We've got this thing worked out in our mind where there will be some day in the future where all of our burdens will be gone, Anyone ever have that day? I've never had that day. Because as soon as I get one off the plate, there's three more there, right? It feels good to get rid of burdens. But make no mistake, we've got several more, right? So we walk around thinking, hey, I see your marriage, and I see it's banged up. But my marriage is banged up. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to untangle my marriage by myself. And then whenever my marriage is fixed, I'll help you with yours. Oh, you need help with your kids or your addiction to whatever you're addicted to? Yeah, listen, I got a little addiction thing going on right here, and I'm working on it. See, I'm working on it. And as soon as I'm done with this, I'll help you with yours. As if that day's ever going to come. Can I just say this? And you can push back if you want. That's fine. 
your most efficient, your most efficient moment, the best you will be able to bear someone else's burdens is when you've got a lot of your own. This is when you'll do your best job bearing up other people's burdens. This is how it makes it easy for you to step alongside, admit you're broken, admit you're fallen, take them by the hand and lead them instead of coming at them like you've arrived or something. Did Paul not do a good job bearing other people's burdens and glorifying Christ with this? I'm glad he didn't wait until all of this was gone before he started writing or leading or planning churches or equipping pastors. I'm glad. I'm glad Jesus didn't. Jesus was most efficient, was he not, on the cross with his own burdens and heaviness? He processed those well, and it was in the midst of those that he glorified God and took yours on his shoulders. Your weights are going to shift, but you'll always have them. Quit waiting. Stop waiting for them to go away. Stop waiting for them to go away. They're not, they're not going to go away until God glorifies us all. Then they go away, right? Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly through this last verse because we're running out of time. So I won't be able to teach it as, like I taught the others. But verse 4, it says this. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Now that seems like he's contradicting himself, doesn't it? It looks like he has his hand on the wheel and then he just jerks it left because it seems like he is contradicting everything he's been saying the whole book. He's just saying some things in an odd way, right? When the languages render into English, sometimes they look like this. It sounds like he is thumping the card over, but he's not. What he is saying right here in a bit of an odd way is not to esteem your value based on who is around you. Look around. Do you find yourself in the company of spiritual giants? That doesn't dictate your value before God. I don't care how much Bible they have memorized. Do you find yourself around a company of morons? <laughs> that doesn't mean that you showed up. It doesn't mean that God loves you more than everybody else. Not to dictate your value based on your surrounding. That's what he's saying. The only comparison we can really make instead of these lateral ones are the vertical ones. We compare ourselves to Christ and we come dreadfully short except for the fact that he traded lives with us. And so we're co-heirs with him now. And because we're satisfied with how he sees us, we can be satisfied with our image in any crowd. This is almost another teaching. He does say to bear his own load, to bear our own load. And it does right there even look like he's contradicting himself, but burden and load are two different words in the Greek. Burden is something that we cannot lift without help. A load is something that we can lift. A load is something that is given to each one of us that has a different weight that we can lift. We do have the capacity to do that. So I was talking to Evan earlier. In the military, soldiers have rucks. They have rucksacks that they, they go around with. And I was asking him, how much do those things weigh? Well, they weigh different things. But in the middle of battle, they can weigh up to 90 pounds, he said. Can you imagine that? That's a lot of weight. 90 pounds. But you can lift it, right? And how many war movies have you seen someone go, oh, this bag is heavy. Can you, like, help me with my bag? Can you help me with my ruck? That never happens. They carry their own load. Why? Because that's the way it is, right? And we each have our own load. And just like in the military, rucks look different. And your load is going to look different. You have different circumstances, a different dilemma, a different set of burdens. And what he is saying here is don't covet somebody else's burdens or judge your value based on what you have. If you are heavily burdened and it feels like every time you come out of one, there's like 10 more waiting for you. That doesn't mean that God is punishing you. 
That doesn't mean that he doesn't value you or love you. That's just how he designed it for you. And if you come out and you feel kind of unscathed, that doesn't mean that he's got some prized view of you. He doesn't love you any more than he ever did. And so we too are not to look at each other and judge each other's value, nor our own value, based on the ruck we're carrying, the load we're carrying. I'll tell you what, go ahead and stand up with with me, and I'm going to drive this into the time of worship. I'm going to ask you some questions, though, as we go into worship and as the team comes out, wherever they are. But are you, are you able, are you even able to be aware and see the burdens of others? You can tell by what your prayers sound like. When you start praying, does it turn like, like inside really fast and stay there until you just get tired of praying and then you stop? Your prayer is a great barometer of whose burdens are weighing on your shoulders the most. Are you even able to see anyone else's burden? Right? Are you so infatuated with your own that you're ineffective as a missionary or just a brother or sister in the Lord? How about this? Who, who is bearing your burdens? This is a little tougher because we don't like anyone catching us in transgression and we don't like anyone bearing up our burdens. But who is bearing your burdens? Who knows your story, knows you deeply, knows where you go off the tracks. Have you, even ever, have you ever even experienced community like that? Friend, there is no going back. When you've had community like that, it sets a very high bar. Is someone carrying your burdens? Well, Luke, I'm just looking for a people I'm comfortable with. No, it's after you start sharing your burdens that you become comfortable with a people. When people go from church to church to church to church to church to church, never connecting because they can't find a people they're comfortable with, friends, they're uncomfortable because they can't connect with a people. That's why they're ping-ponging around churches. Who knows your story? Who knows it? Who's bearing your burdens? When's the last time you engaged someone in their pervasive struggle? When does that happen for you? I hope as we worship God and as you think about those questions, names start to pop up. Names start to come up of people that you should be bearing your burdens towards and people that you should be picking up their burdens and doing a better job. And I hope names are already coming up. If not, I ask that you would pray that God would show you. God, show me some names. I pray this a lot. God, show me some pictures of some people that I'm not doing a good job with as far as bearing up their burdens. Where am I failing in this? Who should I be trusting my life to? I think you'll be shocked who God shows you. I think you'll be shocked. And then I do believe there are some people in here still that they struggle with just letting Jesus carry their burdens. It's a struggle for them just to give their burdens over because you just want to fix it yourself or you don't think it's that big of a deal or whatever it is. I'm just saying it is, it is part of the way you were designed to give your burden to Jesus and to worship him as king in your life. And you've resisted for whatever reason. For whatever reason. Something happened to you. You've got some weird theology banging around in your head. But all I can do is preach the scripture and implore you. I mean, if, if all it took was me just throwing water on you or whatever, to, I would do it. I would do anything. But all I can do is just paint a picture and show you the ultimate burden barrier. The one who was pinned up there because of our afflictions, our heaviness, our sins. And I would just appeal to you to find your king today.
to find him today.